This is Mission.org. I'm better with things are broken. If you're looking for somebody to come in and it's the status quo, I am not your person. Don't even consider me. Michelle Van Slyke likes to be the one you call when things are broken. From Ford to Mercedes to UPS, she's got a knack for reinvigorating stalled brands. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, and today, we're going to hear from the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Sales at the UPS stores, Michelle Van Slyke. She's tackling a different series of challenges these days, and she's here on Marketing Trends to talk all about it. Using data to listen better, tackling the franchise problem, and gives us some key insights on current events as well. Enjoy the episode. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. So we'll start off with some kind of fun lightning round questions. These are always fun to kind of ice break. And we'll start off with the first question. And before I ask this question, I want all of our listeners to know who sponsors the show. Because some folks who are tuning in, we appreciate you for the first time, or maybe you're longtime listeners. But this show is sponsored by Salesforce. Salesforce is a really interesting brand that brings marketing and engagement together. So for those of you who are interested to check out Salesforce, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing and check them out. First question for Michelle, texting or talking? <laughs> well, it definitely depends on my mood. Let me start there. Okay. Uh, for the most part, talking. What is one thing that you love and appreciate about yourself? I'm tenacious. I joke that I wake up every morning and eat my never give up berries. I just have this level of perseverance, regardless of what it is. I love that answer. That's the first. No one said that. I'm writing that one down. We're gonna, <laughs> I want to circle back to Tenacious because there's a story there for sure. What's your favorite day of the week? Friday. Friday for sure. Favorite city in the U.S. besides the one you live in? Oh, uh, New York City. Lived there twice. Loved it. Had it on my bucket list. For sure. You don't know the city until you live there. Let me just say that. That's what they say. That's what they say. Okay. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Every language for sure. Yeah. No, that would be just fascinating. Indeed. What's your favorite holiday? Christmas, but really Christmas Eve, I think. Uh, I like the excitement of that and, and everything that that means. We share that in common. And we, we're in our house, we actually start 
preparing for Christmas, like as soon as Halloween ends, like we just kind of, we do Thanksgiving. Yeah. But we like start getting in the Christmas spirit in November. Yeah, I think it runs in my family too. My dad had his Christmas tree up this year at the beginning of October. Okay. Okay. So I'm like, dad, you, what are you going to dust it <laughs> for the next couple of months? I mean, so he was excited. He goes, well, it goes by too short. I'm like, all right, well. That's fantastic. Okay. On a scale of one to 10, how good of a driver are you? 10 being exceptional, one being not so hot. Yeah, I'm pretty good coming out of the automotive industry. You know, I've been to the Bondron driving school, been on racetracks, driven small Formula Ones, driven shoot luxury cars on racetracks. So I'm I'm probably at the upper end, obviously not a professional driver, but not anything close, but I'm probably in the seven, okay. seven range. Okay. Uh, please fill in the blank. Something wise my elders taught me was... Oh, well, you know, get up and go to work every day. Just a really basic work ethic. What would you choose out of uh, invisibility or super strength? Uh, super strength for sure. Okay. I am not very invisible. Just not in my DNA. Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? <laughs> Probably a vegan, but not vegetarian. Okay. If you weren't in marketing leadership, what would you be doing? Probably something with plants. I love succulents. I have about, uh, I don't know, 80 potted succulents or so. So I would probably do something in that arena for sure. Very cool. What's your least favorite marketing buzzword? I don't know if it's just marketing, but pivot. Pivot is driving me crazy right now. <laughs> okay. Pivot, I'm pivoting this, pivot that. I'm just like, really? Okay, I relate. I can relate to that one. I can relate to that one. What would you go back and tell your younger self about being a marketing leader? Have more fun along the way. I joke sometimes when we're doing things that, you know, don't forget people aspire to have these jobs. This is, this is supposed to be fun. Uh, so I would have probably started my, my fun earlier with leadership as well. If anyone takes a second to Google you and look at your background, I mean, it's pretty incredible the places that you've worked. As far as LinkedIn goes back, I saw Jaguar, Ford, Mercedes-Benz, Hyundai, Jacuzzi Group. I mean, this goes on and on. Rayleigh's. Then, of course, you've been at the UPS store for over a decade. But looking at some of these you know, massive automotive manufacturing, when you've been in marketing leadership, it looks at, like at all these places. Let's talk about before that, though. Like For you, it's always interesting to me like where the marketing dance began for you. Was there some brand that got your attention in school? Did you study marketing in school? How did you kind of end up on the path of marketing in general? Where, where did that start for you? Oh, definitely my marketing 101 class with Professor A. Roy Menzies. I mean, I got hooked uh, without a doubt. You know, I was determined to go to the business school, went to USC undergrad. So I had business in mind. I had businesses when I was a kid. My parents owned a business and I, I managed all the vending machines, but I didn't realize at the time that my parents bought all the supplies and I just got the money. And I'm like, oh my God, being in business is outstanding. You, you just get, you just give money. So I was always going to go to business school. And then as I started taking, you know, I'll call it the, the general courses, when I took my marketing 101 class, then everything clicked. I'm like, oh, this is fascinating. I get it. Um, he was inspirational. He had worked for advertising agencies. He had worked on, you know, Mr. Clean and things like that. And so I just, you know, I was hooked at that moment. That's cool. Okay. So parents were entrepreneurs? Yeah. So my uh, parents owned two gas stations. Um, we were in franchising. 
I started working there, I'm sure at an earlier age than you're supposed to be working any place. And that taught me a lot. It taught me, you know, uh, interacting with customers, understanding that dynamic, the product, the service offerings, what differentiates you in the marketplace. You know, I learned all of that um, pretty early age. So both mom and dad working in the business together? Yes, uh, mostly my dad at the first gas station, then the second gas station, it was definitely a family affair. So we had uncles, cousins, no offense, I'm Hispanic, but you know, when you've got a business, sometimes your whole family comes along. Let's go. Was there entrepreneurial folks before your parents or were they kind of the first ones that, you know, in your immediate family that were doing that? Or did did they even come from an entrepreneurial kind of DNA? No, probably the first one we had, I call it some other relatives that had businesses like a restaurant and things like that, but not within the core family. So you got to see the full contact sport that is entrepreneurship early on. You saw the business interacting, you worked in the business, but yeah, you also chose to go work for some massive, huge brands. You kind of went the corporate route as opposed to kind of the wild, wild entrepreneurial West. And so was that a hard decision for you at that intersection? Because you were in one world, you see how it's working, yet you wanted to go towards some of these more prestigious brands. And so what was kind of in your head at that time? You no, know, I, I guess in some ways I'm stubborn. Uh, I had it in my head that I wanted to be a big fish in a big pond. That if I was going to be in business, I was going to be on that scale and not on a smaller scale. You know, I know firsthand that owning a small business is extremely challenging. I mean, it is all encompassing. It is 24-7. I know what that's like. And I, I definitely wanted something different on the, on the professional side. Take us through the early days of marketing. You graduated USC. What's the first? Are you getting marketing jobs right away? What was the path to Jaguar? You know, while I was an undergrad, I had an opportunity to have an internship with the four A's at an advertising agency out of Chicago. I worked for J. Walter Thompson for a summer. And so that also helped me sort of pick the client versus ad agency path as well and getting a good understanding of what happened there. And then uh, right after I finished USC, I went straight to Notre Dame and got my MBA. I thought, no, I need to be a little smarter here. I need to understand things on a broader scale. And luckily, having worked at my family business gave me the work experience that was required to get into Notre Dame. So I was probably on the younger side (laughs) in the MBA school. And so it was sort of getting grounded there. And then uh, fortunately, Ford Motor Company recruited out of Notre Dame. And they had a college graduate program that you could enter. And it really started for marketing and sales at uh, Ford Motor Company. I started in the customer service path which I thought as a marketer was really outstanding. The first day I read some manuals, the second day with Ford Motor Company, I was on the phone talking with customers, customers who had issues and things like that. So talking about having a sense for the voice of the customer at the beginning was critical. And that certainly has stayed with me and how vital that is to stay connected with your customers so that you clearly understand what's happening with your product or service that you're offering. What stage was Ford Motor Company at that at that point in time? How were they doing? Was it explosive growth at the time? Like what was going on in the business when you were there? Yeah, it was pretty solid. <laughs> there were there were definitely bonuses to be had in the thing because I remember my first bonus was a letter to Michael Cervantes. They didn't get my name right. I wasn't getting any money. You know, classic big companies sometimes don't operate perfectly. So yeah, things were pretty solid and they were starting to get a better understanding of uh, what it meant to have a a real customer understanding. I started in um, 
in Virginia, then I was in Boston, then I was in Dallas. And while I was in Dallas, uh, Ford Motor Company started doing a lot of tests to understand how they could improve customer service. And I happened to be a field person working in the marketplace when they would just test everything. You know, and I was part of a test where I was supposed to say yes to whatever the customer wanted. You know, there was a lot of learnings there for sure. That's really interesting. So can you maybe give an example of, of something like that, like where you had to say yes, like what was something that would occur? Yeah, um, a car had had an issue and it had messed up their driveway and they wanted us to repair their driveway. Well, in the past, that would have took, I don't know what it would have taken to get that done, but it would have taken a lot. And then the other extreme, you know, a cassette player or whatnot was when there was cassette players was damaged. And again, getting us to replace something like that, there was no real process. It was things like that where it was just trying to make the customer immediately happy. And I definitely learned that the lag time, the longer it takes for you to resolve a customer concern, the less happy they are and the more costly it is. And so uh, I was fortunate to be to be part of that. So in your time there for did was there a shift from individual contributor into leadership at that time? Because you it looks like you went to Mercedes after Ford. Yeah. So after that, I went to Detroit for Ford Motor Company and I was a leader in the customer call center. And so I got that was my first leading people, if you will. And <laughs> I apologize to some of them later. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know what I was doing. I was doing my best. And uh, they joke, they go, no, Michelle, you were really hard grader. And it helped me, you know, later with other, with other roles I had. But while I was at Ford, then I was also at Jaguar. Ford Motor Company owned Jaguar at the time. So Jaguar being the, the head of marketing there. And then I also was the head of marketing for Ford Motor Company proper the corporate side of things where we did consolidated media buying for all of the brands. So I had several roles there. And then probably my best one also was, you know, of the piece of marketing product. I was a product manager for some multi-billion dollar programs in the bowels of Ford Motor Company and engineering. And uh, definitely taught you appreciation for how important the product is and product configuration and product pricing and all the all that that entails. That's really awesome. I love how you just dove into the deep end with just the customer and like really spent time with the customer, leading teams who are engaging with the customer every single day. Did you kind of have to plot your path into marketing leadership or was there a path for you there? Because it seems like you you really kind of fought your way through and figured things out and ended up in, you know, working with this team and this budget and now you're leading marketing. Was that a very clear path for you once you were there or... I have to give Ford a lot of credit for that. They had a uh, marketing leadership program that was very structured. So I got added to a marketing leadership program. And, and one of the first things they did is they tried to throw you into the deep end in an area of marketing that you hadn't been in. So I was in export operations. So I was responsible for products built and manufactured in North America and sold to Asia Pacific sort of a different lens. Now I had to think about customers in Japan, Australia, New Zealand. You talk about having to really be focused on the voice of the customer and be fact-based because there's no way I could surmise that. We got to go to Japan a couple of times, test drives on Mount Fuji and things like that. So that also, again, from a, from a lens perspective and from a fact-based perspective taught me a lot. Wow. Okay, so then you end up at, at Mercedes. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Okay, so tell us about that your transition there. And what are the things you started to cultivate while at Mercedes? You obviously took a lot from your experience at Ford and before that. 
what's kind of happening in your development? What are you working on at Mercedes? Yeah, what was interesting when I arrived, uh, Mercedes at the time was struggling with quality and product quality. So they were turning the corner in terms of resolving that. So now it was a classic marketer situation where reality and perception were not the same anymore. There was leftover residual recalls, things like that, that were no longer in place. And I said, okay, well, this is now solvable with advertising and marketing from a classic sense. It was a matter of leading that. And there was a somewhat of a resistance of recognizing that there was a perception issue when it comes to Mercedes-Benz, as you can imagine, from a cultural perspective, we're Mercedes-Benz. How, how could we have an issue? So I had to, again, go back to facts and data and show, you know, here's what the perception is in the marketplace. doesn't matter what brand it is. Here's the data. And so there was a little bit of a convincing internally for that. And we got there eventually. Again, it's a franchise system within automotive. So part of it is bringing along, you know, the dealers as you're working on those types of things so that they can embrace it. So it was a matter of, call it resolving the perception reality issues that were going on and bringing along the organization overall from the dealers to uh, the internal works. I love that using data to, you know, to really clear up reality versus perception. You know, I feel like that's a great tool in your tool belt. You've been in marketing leadership your, virtually your whole career. You've been in marketing leadership now at UPS for over a decade. That alone tells me a lot about kind of the the foundational, you know, ability you have as a marketing leader. As you know, CMOs have short lifetime usually. They're usually to re reorg rebrand and retire, you know, essentially and sometimes not the best way. So any any marketing leader that's been there for more than a couple of years is like, okay, this person has a lot of foundation in place. So going back to the question just of like reality versus perception, what are some of the things that you did to to kind of show that, especially at Mercedes, like where you said, look, the brand is global, the ego is big and and, and it should be. So how are you you're showing the stakeholders internally, hey, this is what's really going on? What's some of the things you did there? Yeah, definitely had to have some firsthand information. So, you know, classic qualitative and qualitative was was critically important. We put together work that was inspirational to everyone in the end. It was inspirational to internal as well as the consumer. And I think that also helped turn the corner because they got reinvigorated and re-inspired about the brand. That isn't always sort of written down that you need to do that, that you need to inspire everyone along the way. And I definitely learned that at that moment. In working on the project, we had a dealer groups where we would get feedback along the way, and they were adamantly opposed to what would be considered a classic brand campaign, even though I had showed the data. So once we revealed what that would mean and what the creative looks like, I had one of the dealers come up to me that was the one of the strongly opposed. And he was at least a foot, if not a foot and a half taller than I was. He came to me after the meeting and I'm looking up to him going, oh boy, how's this going to go? You know, classic New York dealer. And he goes, Michelle, you're right. Yeah, we need this. We really need this. This, you know, timing is great. And there was a conceding once they saw what was going to be the outcome that he needed it, his, his employees needed it, his customers needed it. And there was a recognition that the time was right for something like that. So you, you got to have some level of conviction going into it. Not that I'm always right, but if, if data is showing something and you believe that you can solve it, then um, you got to have that tenaciousness and that perseverance to, to continue, even though you've got some big dissenters. 
now by this stage in your career, you know, at this time you, you've worked with some amazing brands, you've worked with different sized teams, scale resources and support look different at these different places, you know, and then you kind of shifted out of automotive, right? You went, did you go, you went into Jacuzzi group was one. So after Hyundai, you went to Jacuzzi group. So you kind of shifted out of that automotive world. What was, what's happening at that time in your career? Just the new challenge of something different or? Yeah, I pretty much decided I was either going to stay in the automotive industry for the duration of my career and run it out, or I was going to leave automotive and I was going to embark on something else. And once I decided to leave automotive, I realized that I was a marketer who happened to be in automotive, is how I would phrase that. Because there's a lot of car nuts that are marketers, and it turned out I happened to be a marketer in automotive as opposed to the other. I clearly learned that my skills were transferable and that I could use marketing as a discipline. Again, I think that's where my education comes in. I have undergraduate degree with the emphasis in marketing and a graduate degree with the emphasis in marketing. And so I believe that marketing is as much a discipline as the finance department, legal, everybody else. And sometimes people don't see it that way. And then I, I clearly learned that that was the case and was able to, again, transfer my skill set to other industries. So you proved that at the jacuzzi, at the jacuzzi group, and then you went on after jacuzzi group to Rayleigh's, which Rayleigh's is, what is Rayleigh's? It's a $3 billion grocer at the time in Northern California. Okay. So then you went to food. That's interesting. Yeah. Which I thought was great. You know, being in a real retail environment. Oh my gosh. I learned so much. One of the aspects, again, listening to the customer, the core leadership team, operations and marketing, we would go out every Thursday was reserved for going out to our own stores, competitive stores, whatever. An entire day every week was dedicated to being out in the field, which I loved. You saw things firsthand. You could talk with employees. You could see customers firsthand, go to competitors. I learned it was a, a different way to think about the voice of the customer versus maybe you know, what I'd been doing. Wow. That's awesome. Okay. So you've progressed now and you're looking now the, the UPS store opportunities at your door. What did you see from the outside, you know, looking in to that opportunity over, you know, 10 years ago? You know, I had relocated at that point, like nine times in my career. And I grew up here in Southern California and I thought, okay, I'm at the point where I really do want to stay in Southern California. That was at the, at the top of my list that I had, I had lived in New York a couple of times Dallas, Boston, Michigan a couple of times, I was ready now to just, hey, can I just stay in Southern California for a bit? And so uh, as I was searching, the, um, the UPS store came up and I thought, okay, great brand, great global brand. Love that. Loved it at Ford Motor Company. Similarities there in terms of, you know, over a hundred years, that type of thing. I talked with them and I said, I'm better with things are broken you know, if you're looking for somebody to come in and it's the status quo, I am not your person. Don't even consider me because I will go and I will reassess everything in terms of what needs to be done. Then at that point, I was like, do I like these people? Can I work with them? Are they normal? You know, <laughs> type thing. And then again, this is a franchise system. I had been in franchising in the automotive industry. Jacuzzi had some elements of franchising, but I really do. And my parents, you know, being in the franchise business, I really enjoyed all of that. So there were some really great elements to it that was very attractive. What were kind of some of the early challenges that really excited you? Because you obviously there were some things that you got to fix and put in place there. But yeah, what was the some of the early challenges that you're like, okay, like it's a roll up my sleeves now and this really gets me going? 
Yeah, really two buckets. One is, you know, I'm like, where's the marketing plan? And, you know, I believe in having a real marketing plan. So you know what you're doing, how you're going to market. And there really wasn't one per se, because I'm like, show me and there was nothing to show me. So starting with a little bit of basics, all really uh, great aspects within the organization, but no real marketing plan was one bucket. Then I had another bucket where there was just complete dissatisfaction on behalf of uh, the franchisees, the store owners in a number of areas with marketing. So I, <laughs> I, uh, I went on a tour to get feedback, um, came back pretty bruised, you know, with trying to listen what was going on. But there was a, a big bucket of just general dissatisfaction when it came to marketing. So to me, it was gathering what all of that dissatisfaction was, looking at what what our marketing plan is going to be, and then moving from there. So I had to really use my ears for sure and be a good listener. Wow. There you go again, kind of relying back on the early days of, look, something you know within the marketing world is the customer. You know how to connect with the customer and you spend a lot of time doing that. And what do you do when your first 90 days at UPS store, you're going out you know, and you're talking to them and hearing what, you know, what they're doing. What are some of the changes that you implemented after doing that, after going and speaking to the customer? Yeah, um, there were some immediate things. I mean, like anything else, some folks had to be changed out. They just were not in that listening mode that was going to work. So that was sort of the first, first element, both within our organization and then with some of our agency partners as well. I, you know, provided feedback and thought, you know what, we need to, reset. And those are not the easiest uh, pieces to sort of manage. And we probably don't talk about that a, a great deal, but those are some of the pieces that you have to work on. And then I think also just instilling a marketing discipline as well. When I arrived at, they didn't believe in social media. So I had some work to do regarding just some general aspects and you can't go in walking and being arrogant. Well, what do you mean you don't believe in social media? So I had to do some things to shift the culture Oddly enough, one of the major things I did is the organization was still called a mailboxes, et cetera, even though it had been purchased and transitioned to the UPS store for quite some time. So I literally had to change the name of the subsidiary from MBE to the UPS store, Comma Inc. I, I said, I can't, you got to let that go. We That doesn't exist anymore. We need to transition. I can't be in this limbo state. So I had to actually work on changing the name of the subsidiary as well from a marketer's perspective and from a PR perspective. It was just, it was too cumbersome. So I had some basic things to do. What I did do though, is I I made a list and I said, I can't do all of these all at the beginning. You really do have to prioritize. Otherwise it just doesn't work out. Some things on the list, it took me, you know, like three years to get to. But I thought that's okay. I'd rather do things in a quality, methodical manner than trying to, oh, you know, get everything done at once. So prioritization was another, I think, key aspect of trying to contribute in some way that would be meaningful. What is your relationship with kind of trusting your instinct now at this point, right? I mean, you you know, 10 years ago, you're coming in, you have a lot of experience and you also know gathering data is important and that tells a story too. How much would you say of just the balance of like, just you've this intuitive, like, you know, this is a marketing leader. And then to you really, okay, it doesn't matter. I got to go find, you know, the quantitative information. How do you kind of flow with that? Even with the instinct part, I am likely to bounce that off of either the strategist at the agency, somebody internal or whatnot. It's very rare when you are truly 
operating independently. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, I, I don't believe that that is the case. Even today, when I have a hypothesis or I'm thinking about something, I generally will find someone to talk it out with and see where they're coming out. Let's talk about team. I'm curious to, to just your, your experience around team and, and developing teams and hiring teams and building teams structuring them like what's what's kind of your process like you know i guess we could look at the ups store like did you already kind of have an existing team there what's your kind of view on inside versus outside like hiring partners and doing it that or no want to bring it in house what's your perspective on that yeah i'm definitely um in the camp of having experts in the different areas and certainly do that today You know, we engage with an expert PR firm. We engage with an expert social media firm. We engage with expert advertising agencies. Our in-store material, we have experts. I do believe in having outside entities as experts. They generally stay more current. They know what's happening in the marketplace better than we can do. Our internal team is pretty small, just in general. And so I try to help have a good plan and direction a buy-in, and then everyone can go off and execute and, and deliver and making sure that they have the tools and the capabilities to do that. The classic, you know, break down barriers, provide resources becomes a focus at that point. I mean, now there's well over 5,000 UPS stores, right? How many, what is there? Are we, are we over 5,000 now? Yes. In the United States. Mm-hmm. In the U.S. Okay. Well, how many are there global? There's another 300 store in Canada. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, cool. And you say it's a pretty lean team, an internal team supporting. I mean, that's a lot of stores. Yeah, yeah. I, I keep reminding people of that sometimes. I'm like, hey, we're, the number of peeps we've got working on this versus the magnitude, we have about you know a half a billion customers who come in through our doors and do trans, some level of a transaction every calendar year. So our throughput is pretty substantial on top of the number of locations we have. What is the connection with UPS as a brand and the UPS store, like, are you working closely with Kevin and, and, and the people on that side of the house or is it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about it. The shield is the shield is the shield is what I like to say. I mean, from a consumer perspective, no offense to the in store, the UPS shield is the premier. That's where the customer perception sits. Now there is a local personality, I'll call it to our stores because they are independently owned and operated. A lot of customers know the store owner, know the associates. Our stores are have community involvement and that is really the, the best part of it. You've got the benefit of a great global brand with presence and meaning. And then you've got the local element of being part of the community and being there to help. It, it really is a great business. It's amazing. It's something I picked up on, you know, talking to Kevin was there was real strength with the leadership team, certainly at UPS. And I began to see that more and more as I connected with them. And UPS also sponsors another one of our shows. And there's some magic within the leadership team there. And you can really tell when you engage. And again, you're confirming that again today. It's really beautiful to see. And again, 100 plus year old brand, huge global brand, huge market cap. And to see that the connection of trust and strength and amongst the ELT is really is really cool because kind of I think some brands that you know we have an opportunity to connect with will lose that as they as they're so big and you just can tell it's difficult. There's some magic at UPS, truly. Yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah, very thankful. Kevin Warren has just been outstanding, a great leader within the organization, and he's got some other team members that we work closely with and on a daily, weekly basis for sure. Yeah, and there's more for us to do. 
you know, what else can we do to be seamless uh, in some ways for from a customer perspective? There's always something to uh, to work on. Do you have a favorite failure? If you just think back in the past, you know, 10 plus years at UPS store, is there a favorite failure you have that kind of maybe at the time seemed pretty bleak, but then set you up for a great lesson or great success later? Yeah, there was probably two, uh, not, not of late, but I know early in my career, I had just started and we had a new head of a division, a letter, an actual paper letter was going out to um, all the dealers and I'd proofed the letter and everything, sent it to the vendor. Well, I didn't know that the vendor was going to retype the whole thing. And they had spelled the leader's name wrong. It was a last name that could be an O or an E, and they, of course, got it wrong. And, um, you know, I'm a junior person, and he had a really big office. It was late. And I'm like, I got to tell him. You know, I have to tell him. I have to tell him. So I walked in there with all my gumption in the world and did it. He was not happy. But it taught me that I have to own up to it. I have to step up. I need to explain. I need to be open. I need to be honest. But I'll tell you what, my little knees and ankles were shaken, you know, walking into that office for sure. But I said, hey, if I can get through that, I can get through other situations like this because I know it won't be the last one. So it it was a good learning experience for me to do that. And then I also learned as a leader how I don't want to react to those situations because sometimes you learn from people that don't do things that you aspire to be, you know, you learn from them as well. And I learned, okay, I don't want to be that guy either. So let me try to not be that guy. And I actually had a situation recently where an employee called me clearly upset on the phone. And I said, whoa, 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 whatever it is, it, it's not that bad. We'll, we'll, we'll sort through it. And it did harken back to that moment of, you know, what I learned through all of that to not be that person. So how is the team and the marketing team internally there? Like what's kind of its just structure of it? Do you have like demand gen folks? Like what what is the layout of the marketing team internally there look like? Yeah, more more from a functional perspective. Uh, You know, we've got a group that handles, I do uh, franchisee communications, internal communications for our network. I've got all of what we would call technology marketing. So our websites, email, all the rest of that. I've got PR and social media as well. And then I've got all the, what called the advertising buckets, uh, co-op, our local store marketing, um, national advertising. Then I've got all the product development, including print. Then I have CX. Then I have sales. I have franchise development uh, in terms of selling franchises, as well as sales for our corporate accounts. So in terms of the things that really matter to you in the, in the ELT, you've growing franchises. And then like, what, what are some obviously top, like top line for UPS store in, in general, but what are some of the other things that maybe like, these are the things you're focused on because growing individual store revenue too is you're probably connected to that at some level as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The, the growth of our network in general is critically important. Uh, customers tell us that convenience is key. And so the more stores that we have in more locations obviously benefits it. Store and store concept right now is, is key for us as well. We can put stores in drug stores, hardware stores, grocery stores, you name it. And our new design, the new Blue Horizon design really fits in nicely with that. So I saw I saw that in a, in a recent release about a week ago. There's a new UPS store theme called Blue Horizon, and I want to know about it. Tell us about it. Yeah, it officially launched in August of 2020, and who knew you could launch a design during a pandemic? But it has actually done really well for us. It's a more open floor plan. Uh, Customers told us that they wanted to see everything and they wanted to have that visibility. 
uh, in a sort of a workshop environment. So it does display all of our products and services in a way that customers can understand. They can see there's a print consultation section, or you could do notary there. You can see the packing or the printing going on in that store environment. And what we also found, and it wasn't necessarily planned that way, but we found that the store owners and associates feel that it's more team-oriented because they're all together in a workshop environment and are more of a, a team in, in that arena. So um, that's going well. Our, our new store sales are have been extremely strong. We're the number two franchise in the Entrepreneur 500 amongst all the foodies, I call it. We're the little engine that they can uh, in that environment. What is your relationship with just velocity and growth now? You have a lot of resources and support, obviously, from UPS now. You've got a lot of really cool data. The world is changing rapidly, you know, and you've been a marketing leader for a while. And so as you think about growth and velocity, just the speed at which you can achieve growth, what is the dance with those two things like now as a, as a seasoned marketing leader? Yeah, the key really for us is to how can we be more seamless and integrated both within our store environment, the online space, digital space, UPS Enterprise in general, how can we make that more seamless? We're so involved with e-commerce, it's it's hard to believe. We're on the return side. We are a big player when it comes to returns in our store environment. In the pandemic, really, really expanded on that. Uh, we, we manage uh, consolidated returns uh, for companies like Amazon. And so we make it extremely convenient for a customer to be able to do that. And so we want to figure out ways to even make it more convenient and easier, both for our store associates as well as consumers. So there's definitely work to be done there. Thinking about just the culture you're creating for your team, and I'm just, just how, how do you go about creating the right culture as a marketing leader? Because to me, the marketing leader, again, you know, head of marketing, and, any, and they sit at this intersection where they've got to have trust and rapport and understanding with finance and product and operations and everything. They've, it's a really unique role. They've also really carrying the culture and the brand forward. And they're also creating a really important container in the marketing side of things. And so how do you cultivate that as, as a marketing leader now? What's some of the things you do to cultivate that culture? You know, it's almost one person at a time. Uh, recently had a situation with an employee and I'm that something else has got to be going on there. Let me just, let me just have a conversation. And of late, I've been doing more with how can I help, right? How can I help? Asking the question, how can I help? Or reaching out and having that conversation. What can I do to help? And taking that as the viewpoint and seeing what, what percolates. I think at this point, I clearly know I don't have all the answers. I clearly know that I don't know everything. And so there is a freedom in that and asking the question, you know, what, what's going on here and how can I help? Sometimes you don't necessarily solve the problem, but just having the conversation can be helpful. I'm finding myself too, given the pandemic, asking people about how they're doing. How are you feeling? You know, if you'd have told me years ago that I'd ask employees how they're feeling, that would not have happened. And in today's environment, I'm saying, how's the stress level? How are you feeling? What's going on? Yeah, I'm doing that more than ever. Because as you can imagine, when the pandemic started, there was a lot of unknowns and we were doing everything we could. Turned out we were an essential business. And so all of our stores stayed open. That's the good news. 
the tough part is we all were working 24 seven on what that meant and how we could support them and what were the tools that they needed? What is the in-store signage? What did the customer want to know? You know, there was all those group dynamics. So again, found out going back to learning and listening, doing a lot more of that, but in a different way. It wasn't just asking, you know, classic quantitative, qualitative questions. It was more about feelings, both for our customers and for our store owners and our employees. Well, I know there's many skills you've cultivated in the course of your career, because I can tell, you know, in this 40 minute conversation, there's many things you've cultivated. But if you could pick one thing you've cultivated in your career that continues to benefit you and those around you, what would that be? Just you just do not do anything by yourself. You need a team and you need people. I was the interim president this past summer when our president left. And so I had my day job and then I had my day job. I'll tell you what, I I relied and needed help on, in so many levels. And it was interesting because you think, oh, well, you're the leader now and you get to decide and you're going to go off and do that. Anything. But I was more team oriented as the leader than I had ever been because it it just works better that way for whatever reason. So I think it's a combination about seeking help and working as a group would be, you know, where I'm at right now. I don't see that it's just, oh, let Michelle decide. No, no, it it doesn't work that way. Yeah, there's nothing about that that's great. Nobody feels good about it. You don't feel good about it. People don't feel valued. You know, when I was in that role, you know, folks felt valued because I reached out and I said, hey, here's what we're dealing with. Here's the situation. Can we talk this out? You know, what do you think? And then you get more buy-in that way. People are invested and there's a great deal of satisfaction with that for sure. Because I was I was determined in that interim role. I told people, the only thing interim is my title. We're going to thrive as much as we've ever thrived. And there's going to be no, oh, we need to wait for XYZ. We ain't doing that. No, we, we just need to persevere and move forward. So I, I learned a lot myself. There's a lot of controversy over the Coinbase ad with the whole silent QR code bouncing on the screen. For a lot of people, it didn't work because their site crashed. Do you think this was a good or a bad campaign? Well, it worked for me. It didn't crash for me. Definitely got noticed, got in a conversation. I guess I'm a classic marketer and I want, what was the outcome that I was trying to accomplish and did I accomplish what I was trying to accomplish? So without knowing what their goals were, it's hard for me as a marketer to decide whether it was successful or not because I don't know what they were trying to accomplish. I don't. If they were looking for me to actually do something to do a transaction or something like that, then I would say, did I go and proceed with doing any type of transaction? The answer is no. But again, I don't I don't presume to know what somebody else was planning or trying to accomplish. Okay. Another article we we saw on the drum.com, there was this article about the power of cult brands. When consumers talk about brands, it helps them contribute to their own sense of individuality and allows them to connect with their people, like their communities. How do you think a brand can really build that, in this case, not a tribe, but more of just a community around, you know, to give their customers a sense of individuality? Well, for me, that falls under that bucket of having some level of momentum with your brand. That's what goes together. And that's where I would go back to, to Kevin Warren and his understanding of that. Those types of things just build momentum for a brand. And that can be key, especially for a brand like ours and specifically the UPS store. We're a needs-based business. You know, you don't wake up in the morning saying, oh, you know, I'd really like some packing and shipping or I'd really like some notary today. 
we need to stay top of mind for what we do so that when you do have those needs, then there's some type of connection. So when it comes to something like that, for a needs-based business, it could it could certainly make sense. And I see I, I see I see that being one obvious play for you know UPS sponsoring the journey, which is another another show on our network. And it's all around these entrepreneurial stories of really cool things that they're doing. And obviously UPS is the sponsor. So of course the connection where we're sharing this. And I see that's one way that they can leverage it. And it's we've seen the momentum. And so it's beautiful. Another article we saw was on this whole McDonald's discovering the golden ticket to the, to making money in the metaverse. So McDonald's recently filed applications with the US Patent and Trademark Office to expand into virtual and virtual food and beverage sector. And so they're also entering the metaverse to offer patrons another way to order food, real food, for delivery online to their actual homes. What are your thoughts on these companies entering the metaverse so heavily without really knowing about its long-term success? Do you think it's a smart move? Well, I'm a big believer in trial. Try, test and learn, test and learn, test and learn. So if it's under the umbrella of testing and learning, then count me in. You don't know until you try something. I do like doing things on a small scale. Even where we sit with 5,000 locations, if we want to test something in five locations or whatnot, we do that all the time. And so if this falls under the test and learn, then it makes total sense. Are there any testing things happening with, with UPS store around the metaverse and NFTs and blockchain or anything in that world? We've been definitely looking at it more heavily of late and seeing what's possible. Obviously, we're a retail portion of the brand. And so, you know, would we like retail <laughs> locations and, and anything that, that's happening? The answer is yes. So, yeah, we have been looking at it. We have a marketing advisory council comprised of some of our franchisees, and we just did a, an overview with them last week on the metaverse. I do try to, if something's coming up, I try to get them knowledgeable early so that they'll have acceptance later. If I wait until, oh, we're going to do something, then it's it's already too late. So I, I actually just did that last week. We're speaking to more brands about it now. And we're, of course, I mean, everyone's talking about it. And so it's, it's interesting to see some of the positioning folks are taking at the, you know, the virtual boardroom table to talk about these things. And I'm interested, certainly kind of the these enterprise, large B2B kind of old stodgy brands that are also like at the table thinking, okay, how do we play in this world too? And those are always interesting to explore. Yeah. Well, you know, I was around when the whole dot-com thing started too. And we looked at stuff, we're like, that ain't a business. That, that is not, why are they going to make any money? So you do have that, you know, sometimes you have those experience of other types of things that have come up that don't necessarily make it. But I, you know, you've got to try it on some type of scale, generally speaking. Is there a B2B component with the UPS store? I mean, you have the retail side of things. You're also selling franchises. Would you consider a B2B portion of the UPS store as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, we have uh, corporate clients as well. We have corporate clients like Amazon, AT&T, uh, Apple, and the like. So we work directly with these larger corporations to assist their customers in our store environment. We manage both. In the late 90s, Steve Jobs said, start with customer experience and work backward. Still accurate today? You still agree? Oh, that's one of the golden uh, parts of the UPS store. What happens across the counter with our store owners and associates as a marketer, I can't duplicate. We do just an outstanding job with that human element of our business. Uh, our net promoter scores exceed our competitors. 
I'm so thankful for that. Uh, as a marketer, trying to fix that is, would be monumental in 5,000 locations with that, you know, half a billion transactions. It, it's, I'm so thankful. And again, it has to do with the, um, our store owners and the passion and dedication that they have for their customer. And I say there, it's ours, but, you know, on a face-to-face, day-to-day basis, what happens across the counter is just so fabulous. And then, again, we work backwards from there. What can we do to enhance that, help it, make it smoother? Uh, So I would say that that definitely applies today and for the UPS store. Did you make any any interesting changes in terms of how you approach the customer experience at the UPS store in the past couple of years, obviously, with COVID and the pandemic and everything changing, like, We've seen a lot of brands kind of doubling down on CX as well. And were there sweeping changes into kind of the behavior of your customer? Did you have to do anything different? Are you doing anything different to engage with them now? Well, the first thing we did when the pandemic started is we have a closed group of about 400 micro small business owners that are our customers. And so I can survey them or talk with them anytime. When the pandemic started, we started waves of questions and we're on wave 15 right now in terms of understanding what's happening. So we can see over time, you know, what changed in my business? How confident am I? Where do I see things and whatnot? So we can, I can sort of gauge their mood uh, for our core customer on what's happening. So definitely did that as a listening learning tool over time. At the beginning, it was kind of interesting. All they wanted us to do was stay open and be there for them and know that we were available and so I thought, okay, you know, what are some of the things that I can do? So I, we went low tech. I shipped out, you know, 5,000 banners to all of our stores that just said, you know, open for you to put up because in some instances we were the only entity open in a strip mall. It was just the lonely, I call it the UPS store where everybody else was closed. The 99 cent store, the donut shop, the Thai restaurant, whatever, they're all closed. And we've got the beacon of you know, hope there. And so we were just trying to make that beacon just a little louder is really what we did from the beginning for our customers and for our store owners, frankly. It's amazing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. 
Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.